we don't talk about the resurrection enough. And so, um, I, by the way, there are outlines. Um, there, if, if you don't have one and there's a se empty seat next to you, near you that has one, um, they're all going to come up on the PowerPoints anyway, but I just thought it might be a little bit easier to follow. Um, so, you know, death has been reigning on this world for a long time. And, and so the first part of it, of this little discussion here is death reigned. You see, what happened in the garden has had impacts for all eternity, all, all history. You know that Adam and Eve were created without any sin nature. Um, they were both physical and spiritual beings. I, I don't know if you've ever thought of this, but you know humans are the only place where there's a nexus between physical and spirit. Spiritual beings, the angels, and so they're spirit. They don't have a physical form. And the animals and so forth, they're physical form, but they don't have a spirit. But humans are the nexus between those two. And so when, when God created Adam, he created him in this manner. And, and so um, Adam and Eve were body, soul, and spirit. Uh, now, some of you may not have thought about this very much, but God's pattern, his design, was that the spirit would be the leader. It would be the one who instructed the soul. The soul carried out the desires of the spirit. And the physical body then put that into action. Is that making sense? And, and so, you see, God never designed the soul to be its own leader. It designed the soul to have something else lead it. So it doesn't make very good decisions on its own. I hear that. So you see, when, when Adam sinned, this thing happened. He died. God said, in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. Die. In the Hebrew, it's, it's duplicated. Die, die. Well, he lived another, what, 830 years or something like that before he died. But something happened that very day, and that was his spirit died. Now, some people don't like to use that word um, because that would mean that it ceased altogether, but you can't kill spirit. It's eternal. So what happened was you can say, well, his his spirit atrophied or his spirit went dormant or whatever other words you, I like the word die. Okay, we'll come back to that. And, and so, um, and you see, the, the sad part was that every human being born of the union of a man and a woman inherited that same nature, that same sin nature, and that same 
dead spirit. That's the tragedy of the garden. We don't really realize how terrific that was, how horrific that was. In all of creation, as a matter of fact, Paul writes and says, all creation is groaning, waiting for the revelation of the sons of God. And so, in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, you, you have all the, for those of you that have outlines, all the scripture references are there. I build it into my notes so I don't have to turn to it. Romans 5, 12, therefore, just as one man's sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And so sin has pervaded all of creation because of us. And so now there are two levels of death. I already hinted at that one is spiritual and one is physical. The physical death came much later, but the spiritual death came instantly. And so, as Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. You see, we died. All of us were born dead. You see, when we don't have a living and active spirit, we are forced to be led by our soul. And I want to tell you something about the soul. It is easily hurt. It is easily manipulated. It is easily damaged. And so it makes really bad decisions. The physical death took a little longer, but it happened. As Romans 5.21 starts out, it says, sin reigned in death. Not reigned as in drops of water falling, but reigned as in governed. Well, let's look at the incarnation this is all background. <laughs> you've been through, a lot of you have been through this, but it's good to rehearse it, all right? So why did God have to become a man? Well, first of all, we need a redeemer. One who can deliver us, can redeem us from Satan. You see, Adam's sin made all of mankind under the dominion of Satan. And there is no way that we can be delivered from that in and of ourselves because we all were his slaves. We became, when, when Adam chose to obey Satan rather than obey God, we, we became slaves of Satan. 
Now, there is this structure in concept in the Old Testament of Redeemer, and it's found most clearly in the book of Ruth. And for those of you that don't know it, read the book of Ruth, but it's, it's the last chapter where we win. <laughs> All right, Boaz fell in love with Ruth and became the redeemer of the property of Ruth's father-in-law. Does that make sense? Because, well, there are two things. In order to become a redeemer in the Old Testament, you had to satisfy two conditions. Number one, you had to be a close relative. You couldn't be a stranger that comes in off the street and redeem the farm, family farm. The other thing is you have to be willing to pay the price of redemption and be able and willing to pay the price of redemption, period. And that's what you see in Boaz. Boaz becomes enamored with, with Ruth, and so he goes before the elders of the city to redeem the property. But there is one who is closer relative than Boaz. And here's an interesting, I'm going to, this is a little bit of a sidetrack, but it's kind of cool. Because Boaz turns to this man and he says, are you willing to redeem the property? He says, yes, I'm willing to redeem the property. Well, do you realize that if you take this property, you're going to have to take Ruth as your wife so you raise up um, uh, an inheritance? And I have this thing going on. I think the, the, the other relative thought... I already have a wife, and one is all I can handle. <laughs> and so he says, no, you can have it. And so Boaz redeems the property. Well, you see, we have a redeemer in Jesus. Why did Jesus have to become a person? Why did he have to take on flesh and blood and be born of a woman? Why? Because he needed to, we need a close relative in order to be our redeemer. He has to be a human being that has, has, has experienced all of the trials and problems of humanity. And the second thing is, he has to have the price of redemption. Well, in Revelation 5.9, we discover what the price of redemption is. That is his blood. Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You see, Jesus was a man. But he was a man like Adam was created to be. He lived by the strength of the spirit, not by the strength of his soul. So that Jesus said, I only do the things I see my father doing. And in fact, he says, I only say the things I hear my father saying, which is 100% spirit-led life. Amen? Didn't have to rely on it. You wonder how Jesus knew what people were thinking? Because his spirit was hearing from God. And God said, this man's thinking this and so, you know. Okay, the crucifixion. So much of our Christian doctrine is built around the crucifixion, and it's rightly so, don't get me wrong. 
But let's look at it briefly. Nothing's brief when I'm talking. Um, for, first of all, I want you to see that Jesus fulfilled the Passover. He was the Passover lamb. That was, if you read in Exodus chapter 12, verses 3 through 6, you see the, the, the whole thing about the Passover. On the 10th day of the first month of the, of the year, you take this lamb and make it a part of your family. You give it a name and you live with it. Well, Jesus entered Jerusalem on the 10th day of the first month of the year. And he became the lamb living among them. And he was, and then on the 14th day, the lamb was to be slaughtered, to be eaten, and Jesus hung on the cross and died at exactly the same time as the lambs were being slaughtered in the temple, the Passover lambs. So he fulfilled, in fact, he fulfilled all of the springtime festivals, but that was the first of the festivals. He also fulfilled Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. And I'm not going to look at that in detail, but verses 1 through 8 describe, in essence, his trial. What he went through in, in with the, the high priest and then uh, before Pilate. But verse 9 is fascinating. Jesus died... In the afternoon, the, th the three o'clock our time. Now, I, I want to I want you to get this picture because in Hebrew, in, to the Jews, you never left a body unburied to the next day. It had to be buried immediately, and to compound it worse, the next day, when which started by the way at sundown. That's the that's the that's the. The thing that makes it really hard for us to understand, the next day wasn't at midnight. The next day was at sundown, the very day that Jesus died. Okay? And that started the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which was a high holy Sabbath. You don't do any work on a high holy Sabbath, period. And so Jesus had to be buried before sundown. So Jairus, Joseph of Arimathea, goes to Pilate and asks for the body. Now, here's the thing about the Romans. The Romans didn't believe in, for criminals, if you were, if you were crucified, you just stayed on the cross until the bird ate, or fought wild animals, or your bones fell off of the cross. It's not a very nice thing to, to think about. But that was the Roman way of taking care of criminals. Joseph comes to Pilate, and here is, here is a strange thing because Joseph asks for the body of Jesus, and, and Pilate, in everything in his nature, says, you can't have it. It's going to hang there on a cross until it rots. But no, he gives Joseph permission to take down the body. Now, let me back up a little second because in Hebrew, Jesus was... Uh, a criminal worthy of, of death. And he would never have been buried in a marked grave. He would have been buried in a, in a common grave outside the city 
where all the criminals were buried. That's where he was to go. Well, let's look at what Isaiah 53 verse 9 says. His grave was assigned with wicked men. He was supposed to go and be buried where all of the wicked, where all of the murderers and everything were, were, were buried. But it goes on and says, yet he was with a rich man in his death because Joseph took the body and put it in his own tomb that had just been newly made. And the verse ends with this. Because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. That's an, that's an amazing thing. You know, Isaiah was written 800 years before Jesus. And here it is fulfilled in an amazing and amazing way. All right. Let's look at the power of the crucifixion. Now, understand that the crucifixion and the resurrection cannot be separated except in time, okay? The, and so they're, they're inseparable, but they're, they have different purposes and different reaches, diff different things that were accomplished. So on the, um, it might, you might say that there would be no resurrection if there was no crucifixion. Okay, for those of you that are mathematic, the, the crucifixion was necessary but was not sufficient. Okay, or logic, that's a logic statement. All right, so I'm just showing off, that's all right. <laughs> all right. The purposes of the crucifixion, what did the crucifixion accomplish? Well, there were three things that it accomplished. One, none of those is eternal life. None of those is the new birth. Okay? Redemption was in our, I already mentioned about redemption. So redemption, that Jesus paid the price of redemption, and it is accomplished. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, it says, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Redemption is ours. Resent we have redemption. All our sins have been paid for. They are taken care of, period. Don't go around... Thinking that you have to, I want to tell you a little story. You, you all, know, many of you know that I have ministered in the prison, and, and I was in it for for a worship service one evening, and as the men were coming in, I'm greeting them, and these two guys come over and say, "We got this question. Can you help us with it?" I said, "Well, okay. I've got a couple minutes before we actually start." So I sat down at the table with them, and they said, "Well, the the question is this: if I commit a sin." but die before I have a chance to repent, am I still going to heaven? That's a good question. And by God's grace, he gave me the answer. I said, when were you, say, when, when were you forgiven? When were you forgiven? 
Well, they said, from the, at the cross. I said, yeah, that's right. You were forgiven at the cross. The issue is not forgiveness. Repentance is not an issue of forgiveness. Repentance is an issue of restoring fellowship with God. Because when we break God's principles and laws, we break fellowship with him. I, I see heads nodding because you know that when you're not right, you have a very difficult time conversing with God and, and experiencing his presence. This whole thing of, you, you, you just admit that God is correct. God, you got it right. Repentance is saying, God, I got it all messed up. You got it right. Okay? Hallelujah. All right. Sorry I'm preaching. That's okay. The second thing is forgiveness, and and I've already talked about that, but here the point is I, I want to make in Hebrews um, chapter 9 is that it's permanent. You know, it, it, within Hebrew law, there was every year there was a, a special sacrifice for the atonement for the sins of the people. But they had to go through that every year. And sometimes in between, they had to bring a sacrifice into the temple specifically for sin. Okay? But Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient for all sin for all time. There is no sin that, can be com- that, that we can commit that doesn't come under Jesus' forgiveness. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And thirdly is reconciliation. In the garden, when Adam realized what he had done, what happened? He was afraid of God. And he hid himself. He separated himself from God. The result of sin is fear and separation. And so reconciliation was purchased for us at the cross. Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Do you understand there's nothing we can do to reconcile with God because Jesus has already done it all? There's nothing left for us to do except accept it. Is that making sense? Listen, this business of being a Christian is not hard. It's easy. We only make it hard because we put it on us instead of on Jesus. That's what makes it hard. Okay, let's look at the resurrection. You see, death was still reigned when Jesus was down, taken down from the cross. Death was still in charge. First of all, the resurrection of Jesus was a demonstration of the power of God. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 to 21. Paul writes, And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. That's something else we can talk about, but I won't so that you will know, and I'm skipping a little bit, what is the surpassing 
greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. Do you see that? It's all Jesus. <laughs> He's got the... God demonstrated the surpassing greatness of his power. There is no greater power than the power that overcomes death. Here's an interesting little thing. When Jesus was crucified, there was a sign on the cross. He was crucified as king of the Jews. When he was raised from the dead, he was the king of kings and lord of lords. Three days later, king of kings and lord of lords. The greatness of the resurrection. You see, death now had lost its power. Now, there is a parallel between his resurrection and us being made alive in him. When I, when I saw this, I, this was years ago, I just got so excited I could hardly stand it. Okay? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we, too, all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But, I love but. Y you know, when, whenever you're talking with somebody and they say, I like you, but, you know that you can forget everything that was said before that. It, everything that was said before that goes away when you hear the word but. All right? But God. Okay? But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive, how? Together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I want you to see something. When we are born again, when we come and, 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 and we participate in the resurrection of Jesus, get a hold of that. We participate in his resurrection. We are resurrected together with him. It's a done deal, okay? And you have to be resurrected because you were dead. Do you see that? As long as you're dead, you're dead. When you're resurrected, you're no longer dead, you're alive. That's, such, that's so simple. I'm almost embarrassed to say it that way. But it's true. Let's look at Romans chapter 6, verses 3 to 7. 
Or do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus, have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he, has died, for he who has died is free from sin. I can no longer make an excuse. I'm just human. I'm just a man after all. I can't, I can't live sin free. I can't make that excuse. John wrote, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. It didn't say when we sin. Does that leave the possibility that we don't have to sin? Do we sin? That's our choice. That's on us, not on God. Am I making sense? All right. I like to add, how many of you, since you walked in the door, well, we've got food back there, so I may have to change this. How many of you have sinned since you walked into here? Gluttony, we'll put that aside for now. <laughs> if, if you can go for an hour without sinning, why can't you go for two hours without sinning? It's just a, just a question, just, just saying. You see, we are born again through the resurrection of Jesus. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. You know, this is an interesting thing because when Nicodemus came to Jesus, and we have the account in John chapter 3, he asked Jesus about basically how can one get saved? And Jesus said in, in verse 3, I want to get this right. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You see, we're born into the kingdom of God. Right? Right? We're born through the resurrection. Because we've been resurrected, we now have life, and we are born into the kingdom of God. You can't get in through the side door. And the spiritual death of Adam is reversed. First Corinthians 5.22 For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all 
will be made alive. You see, this is what I want you to see. The new, one of the things, the new birth is not fixing a little thing. It's not tweaking somebody's life a little bit because they're having difficulty. The new birth is a matter of life and death. Because if a person is not born again and, and by the resurrection of Jesus, he's dead. He, she. You with me? It's a, that's the level of importance it is when we share the gospel. We need to talk more about the resurrection of Jesus because that's how we are saved. Okay? Um, I'm going to jump here just a little bit. Um, maybe I skip. No, here it is. Romans 10, 9, and 10. If you've ever studied the Roman road, you know <coughs> what Romans 10, 9, and 10 is. All right, how many of you have studied the Roman road? Sure, okay? All right, so how, is, how does one get saved? Well, you repeat this after me. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Now, confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord meant something totally different in Paul's day than it means today. In Paul's day, Caesar was Lord. And if you called somebody else Lord, it was off with your head. Sort of like the, the Alice in Wonderland thing, right? So it, it was, you, you, if you called Jesus Lord, that was a big deal. That means he was really your Lord. You couldn't do anything without his permission. Is that, you follow what I'm saying? All right? And the second part of it is, and... You believe in your heart. Now, we believe lots of things in our heart. Our heart, by the way, is the core, I believe, it's the core of the soul. It's what motivates us. So, we have, we have a lot of beliefs in our heart. The one he's talking about is specific, that you believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead. Look. We don't ask Jesus into our heart. We confess that he was raised from the dead. So we're born again. Inviting Jesus into our heart doesn't get us born again. You wonder why people that go forward in, in evangelistic meetings and they go through the, the, the prayer and so forth and, and they fall away immediately. One of the best evangelists we know was Billy Graham. And he knew that only 3% of those that answered an altar call would be in church the following year. Why didn't it take? Because they weren't resurrected. You follow what I'm saying? All right. Well, there might be other reasons, but that's certainly one of them. And so you confess and you believe, and you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. You see, Jesus is alive and he is king death doesn't reign Jesus reigns Jesus is the one whom we obey because he is our king the new birth is spiritual and not natural 
Now, sometimes when people get born again, it's manifested in their, in their bodies. They see healing or, or some other thing. But being born again is a spiritual event, not a natural event. Now, we have a hard time. Look, I, I, I really appreciate what Kevin has been teaching on the soul. Because a soul is an immaterial thing. I, I puzzled him recently. I said, and where is the soul located? Well, the soul is not located anywhere. <laughs> it's, it is us. You follow what I'm saying? It's not a material thing. I can't point to him and say, there's, there's your soul, or I, there's my soul. You with me? When we understand that, we can begin to understand something about the nature of our spirit. Where is my spirit? Well, my spirit is, is it's an immaterial thing. It doesn't have a location. You with me? You follow me? But it's real. Nobody doubts that you have a soul. You don't doubt that you have a soul. You can't tell me where it is, but it's real. And if you're born again, you have a living spirit. You can't tell me where it is, but it's real. That's a, hot, that's a thing we have. In Africa, we encounter people that knew all kinds of evil spirits. They weren't puzzled by this concept of spirit. But we are. We struggle with it. Because we are a materialistic society. Everything is material. If I can't touch it, feel it, taste it, hear it, or whatever it, it doesn't exist. Spirit is immaterial. And so we can't put our finger on it. But it's real. Hallelujah. And by the way, only spirit can communicate with spirit. You see, the new birth, now that you're born again and you have a living spirit, it can now accept in the Holy Spirit because there's no home. If you don't have a living spirit, there's no home for the Holy Spirit. And so the baptism in the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit indwelling a person. Well, if you don't have a living spirit, where is he going to indwell? My little finger? You, 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 know, you follow what I'm saying here? This, this is a very interesting thing because we, we, we've made the baptism of the Holy Spirit into some kind of a, of a weird kind of a thing, okay? Now, are there manifestations? Sure. Were there manifestations when you were born again? Mostly. Most likely there were. You may not remember them. For some of us, it was a long, long time ago, back in the last millennium even. Um, okay. The prominence of the uh, pro, uh, of the resurrection, the importance of it. I want you to see that if you read in, in Acts the first few chapters, when when Paul and uh, I'm not Paul, when Peter was preached that sermon and then he got into a lot of trouble. Oh, they, um, Peter and John were walking into the into the temple and there's this man. And they, in the name of Jesus, and, and, and he gets healed. 
and they proceed to declare the resurrection of Jesus. And that's what got the Sanhedrin upset. Not that they were talking about him being crucified. They watched it. They knew it. But the fact that he was resurrected from the dead, that's what got them upset. And that's, if you go through, you'll discover the importance of the resurrection in the teaching of Paul and in the, in the preaching of the, of the apostles. They did not ignore the crucifixion. But as a matter of fact, Paul gives three things that are of importance. And the second one is the crucifixion and the third one is the resurrection. I don't, right now, I forgot the first thing. But what I'm trying to say is that when we are sharing Jesus, I think we need to talk about more about the resurrection than we talk about. Because that's what the world has a hard time understanding and dealing with. The resurrection is proof of his divinity. It's proof that Jesus is God. It's proof of his promises. It's proof of his authority. All that is because of the resurrection. To close, I, I want to say I believe we need, I need, to walk more in the power of the resurrection than I do. And I suspect, I don't know, but I suspect the same is with you. Hallelujah. Father, in the name of Jesus, we do, we do rejoice, Lord, in your presence with us. We do rejoice in what you're doing. Lord, we rejoice in your word that we have life because of the resurrection of Jesus. And we honor that in Jesus' name. Amen.